this is Calico from MissCalico.com, and the podcast you're listening to is for adults only. We do this out of the kindness of our hearts and the emptiness of our wallets, so if you like what you hear, and you will, please support Axe and the Massacast by going to Massacast.com and clicking donate. Thanks. Hello, welcome to another Massacast. Uh, if my voice sounds a little different, it's because I'm recording this with my laptop microphone instead of my normal, awesome wonderful microphone it's uh it crapped out of me i was in the middle of a really great interview and uh with a friend and it just stopped working unfortunately but uh, the good news is is i plan on buying uh, another mic in the next uh, month or so so um i'll be able to continue interviews thankfully though i still have some other interviews that i've uh, recorded in the past and i'll still be able to bring you meanwhile um speaking of uh, new equipment you can help donate and help out with some of the cost um Two people in the last couple months have donated, and you know who you are. I can't thank you enough, and uh, it's because of you that I'll be able to get uh, another mic. And, uh, in fact, if you are listening, you haven't donated yet, you can help me hopefully get, you know, even some nicer equipment than I was planning. Maybe two microphones, one for me and one for the guest. That would be, well, then I'd be be living the high life then. Uh, You can just click the donate button on the Massacast website, M-A-S-O-C-A-S-T dot com. And uh, you can donate $5, $10, whatever you like. Um, but yes, thank you again to uh, those two people who donated. One from the UK, uh, one from Australia. Also helping pick up the cost of uh, some of the equipment and some of the uh, other operating costs is uh, our sponsor. Thanks to Eden Fantasies. If you go to Massacast.com, click on the banner, then they'll know, oh, wow, these people came from Massacast. Awesome. And then they know that uh, their advertising is working. Um, Eden Fantasies, the cool thing about it is not only are they uh, helping sponsor, but they're also giving you a great deal if you go to Eden Fantasies and upon checkout type in the code EFCAST, that's E-F-C-A-S-T, you'll save 20% off your order. And I was just browsing their website uh, earlier, and uh, the cool thing about Eden Fantasies is not only do they have uh, you know a large selection, uh, and also they have some toys and stuff that I have never even heard of before. They have an, a Kegel Exerciser. There's a Kegel Exerciser. I've never seen anything like this before. It looks pretty cool. But um, so check that out. Check out all the other toys they've got. They've got stuff that's uh, from the uh, mild to the wild, as they say. And they've got this great review section. Uh, You can look at a toy and see what other people thought of it before you pay for it. Again, Eden Fantasies, the code EFCAST, will save you 20% on your order. Now, on to today's episode. Uh, this uh, this interview is actually also uh, someone that a friend of a friend suggested, and I'm so glad she suggested him because uh, he's, uh, well, as you can tell, he's a really awesome guy, and uh, this was a lot of fun to record. So here's the interview uh, with a friend of mine. Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm of the age that I have to blame everything on Batman. <laughs> um, I, I, a while back, I was trying to remember... Uh, I had that experience that so many people have on YouTube of of uh, coming across the thing that was their initial erotic trigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, and for me, it was this episode of the Batman TV show where Batman uh, goes to have this meeting with like the Riddler or something. And uh, they set up this meeting at this club and Jill St. John is there and she drugs Batman's orange juice and he, um, <laughs> he gets, 
and he gets intoxicated and ends up dancing the Batusi. <laughs> yes, I remember <laughs> this. I, I've seen, you can see this on YouTube. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's up there. And there's a there's a bunch of there's a there's a bunch of like sort of Batman brain control hypnosis moments. This is back when everything had a dance. Yeah. Right. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Dance. We're gonna. We're gonna. That's the uh, Snapple yeah. Tusi or something. Yeah. Yes. Snapple I'm. I'm embarrassed to say that I know how to do the Bat <laughs> Oh but, wow. Uh, yeah. So that doesn't translate on radio. Uh, right. so. <laughs> so what was it about this scene? Well, I think the thing about it. Um, I mean, there's so many kinky elements, right? There's, uh, and the whole show was full of that. But you know, he's there in this costume and his. And Adam West's whole way of playing him was so, um, as as such a kind of rigid authority figure, um, and uh, and it's all about that uh, him losing that, mm-hmm. right? Him losing control, and so it's it's really he he often plays him as so sort of cerebral. Um, and so it's really about like the brain kind of surrendering to the body. Like, mm-hmm. he, you know, he can't help but dance at that moment. The Batusi. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's, and, and there's that, so there's that sort of like mind control, like loss of, you know, and then, I mean, the rest of the show, of course, had all that bondage stuff in mm-hmm. it and Julie Newmar mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, any fetish that you'd care to name you know, is is there in that show. So I think the fact that, you know, uh, I mean, I was young when that show originally aired and I was watching it when it was originally airing and immediately we would all go into like kindergarten the next day and play Batman, mm-hmm. you know, constantly, which of course involved like tying up and capturing and rescuing and, uh, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So that was probably the kinky conditioning. And then, um, you know, in my adolescence, I was very into porn. And my parents, you know, there's, I guess I could, I guess, aside from just uh, blaming Batman, I can also blame the Grove Press. My parents were kind of, uh, thought of themselves as kind of bohemian, and one of the things that they did was what so many people did was buy whatever books Grove Press put out. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they were publishing the Marquis de Sade. They were publishing, I think, they published an edition of Psychopathia Sexualis. They published um, My Secret Life. And so my parents sort of had all of these books on their bookshelf, and eventually I sort of figured out that I could, you know, that that I could read them. Mm-hmm. So reading for me has always been a big sort of erotic charge. And one of the things about the the porn at that time in the '60s and '70s, because it was all dirty, there wasn't much market division. Like there was stuff. Like, if you read My Secret Life, um, it's this memoir where this guy goes from, um, you know, he sleeps with women, he eventually sort of really gets into prostitutes, and then he really gets into, like, being around the prostitutes right after they've slept with other guys. He goes from, like, 
spying goes into the, like spying on them and then you know he sort of gets into playing with the guys mm-hmm. and so a, a lot of that stuff from that period was very fluid in terms of um what you could see depicted like you could see stuff that was um sadistic or you could see stuff that was sort of fetishy or you could see stuff that was for lack of a better term queer mm-hmm. all kind of jumbled together yeah. and uh and i remember that was you know that seemed very natural to me in terms of um sexuality it's funny you mention that because I just recently read the Sleeping Beauty trilogy, mm-hmm. and that's very the same thing too. I was really mm-hmm. surprised. I'm like, wow, for, and I don't even know what with, when that came out. Was it the I want to say it was the 70s? Uh, yeah, 70s, probably late 70s. And even then, I mean, they had something for everyone in there. Yeah, uh, and that you know that's the same thing. It was just everything was in in this yeah. one book. Uh, and eventually maybe some market research guy said no 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 you've got to make it specifically for this Uh, that's really interesting how that you know what happened with it is actually it wasn't market research it was um it was the Mies commission and it was um it was really laws because what happened in the porn industry was that um at a certain point, I mean, I'm talking more about like porn novels and stuff. Mm-hmm. You could just have whatever it was that somebody was willing to write, as long as it was dirty, could end up in these books, and they would just put them out. Once states started to have differing laws, suddenly you might have a book that had a lot of sex in it and there happened to be incest in it and then you couldn't sell that book mm-hmm. in X number of states mm-hmm. and you couldn't ship that book to X number of states and so what happened was that those laws started impacting the industry in terms of all of that stuff had to be sort of segregated so that it wouldn't you wouldn't end up in court over something over like a scene in a book or something so if someone wanted to write about a specific thing that would be banned somewhere else they had to basically write just about that one thing yeah you know what? exactly yeah. like they had to write an incest book yeah. or they had to write a bestiality book yeah. or they had to write you know um and uh and and that has really that really continued you know that that was one of the things that as the industry got more regulated it became uh, more and more ghettoized. Yeah. I think also, you know, you started to have um, through the seventies. You you started to have the rise of a, a a gay publishing industry that um, was independent of you know whatever it's sort of. I mean, the story is that it was always the mafia that was running the other porn publishing industry, but you had this, you had specifically gay publishing where people were really trying to write a different kind of thing. And that really changed, um, how everything got sort of distributed. You know, you had the rise of gay bookstores and so they would stock specific sorts of, sorts of things. Yeah. So when you read it, mm-hmm. 
that was uh, probably a big this you know you go from by the way when you were, when you watched Batman dance the Watusi mm-hmm. were you thinking I would really love someone to make me dance the Batusi or was it I would really like to make someone dance what was it appealed to, what appealed to you in that it was both yeah I mean and that was the thing like when we would play as kids we would you know we would go back and forth mm-hmm. um, and so I guess. I mean, I, I guess that means I've sort of always been a switch mm-hmm. um, because it's always been intriguing to me to be like, you do it. No, now you do it. You know, and that's, <laughs> yeah, that might be like the most uh, benign description of switching <laughs> that we've been able to come up with. You know, everybody's always like switches don't exist. Or, or, yeah, like, who do switches think they are? And, but that's really what it is at the bottom. It's like, okay, you're it. No, you're it. Okay, now I'm it. Now you do it. <laughs> I, think, I think I just found the title for this episode. <laughs> then again, it's early. You never know. Yeah, right. I feel like my sexuality, um, like in terms of the, the sorts of sexual object choices I would make, was very broad. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of, different types of people that I was interested in in fucking that ended up being a problem as as time went on because um, society isn't always set up that way mm-hmm. so uh, to uh, to sort of briefly encapsulate you know I went away to college and I sort of had this dual life where in college I was sleeping with women and being involved in emotional relationships with women then also coming back down to New York and um, having sex in porn theaters and bookstores around New York with guys Mm -hmm. and then going back up to college and then coming back And, um, and at the time when I started doing stuff that was sexually closer to things like dominance it was uh it was usually with women because those are the people that i wasn't in pickup scenes with Mm -hmm. right so um you know i i uh was with one woman who was really into it who was more adventurous in fact i think than i was and kind of gave me a taste for it she she so, sort of interested to you or yeah she was she was a bit more submissive she was really into me being rougher with her and uh, and I thought oh this is great it was pretty casual so it wasn't like we were really like dating or involved in a relationship for a long time so then I sort of was like trying that out on the next person I was with and they had a really bad reaction and really freaked out and I and I, I you know. Uh, as a child of the 60s and 70s also had a strong feminist streak and mm-hmm. suddenly decided like you know well this is really fucked up I have a really fucked up relationship with women this is really wrong it's bad and so my solution to it you know I was like this power is really imbalanced and um, uh, the way to deal with it was I'm just not going to sleep with women anymore you know so I, I when I got done with college and went out to the west coast for graduate school um, I just basically only slept with them. Mm-hmm. And was that because it was less complicated or? Yeah, because the, because, 
um, the assumptions at the base of the power situation were equal, right? Mm -hmm. So even though there may be inter an interpersonal power thing, there, the sort of fundamental power imbalance of patriarchy wasn't there. I mean, this might be kind of an extreme psychological solution to this problem, <laughs> but I do tend to be a pretty cerebral person. So after only sleeping with men for around, you know, uh, 24 years, I started sleeping with women again. And, you know, that is when people ask me, like, you know, I'm like, this is the great way to to meet great women is to be gay for 24 years. I just I, I started laughing, not because of you, you, of the chronology, but I just imagine that woman mm -hmm. that, made, that made you decide, you know what, I think I'm going to try this again. What was that like? Was it just something like, just something just naturally happened? Or was it something like, okay, if I'm going to go back over there, it's going to be for her? Or well, the, it work? the truth was that I was crushing out for a while I'd been crushing out on Butch Dykes mm -hmm. you know so that was like the first thing yeah, <laughs> that I was like oh my god the, you know that, those were like the women that I was finding really hot mm -hmm. um, this particular person there was somebody who was sort of a misstep with like that like that it almost happened with them and then it kind of they kind of screwed it up but the person that it ended up being was someone that uh, I thought thought was queer i thought she i, I thought she was a dyke mm -hmm. um and uh and you know she knew me as like a gay guy mm -hmm. and then uh, it really took a long time before things actually worked themselves out and there was uh and it was the miracle of live journal we got to know each other um uh know each other's personalities online mm -hmm. and i um, I mean, she tells this story a lot, but uh, I had that typical thing of being bored um, one day and writing like, I'm here at my desk and I'm bored. Entertain me. Like, it's you and me alone in a room. What happens? Like, send me a fantasy. Yeah. And, uh, and I got this reply from her mm -hmm. that was like really hot. And suddenly I was like, whoa <laughs> oh i never knew yeah. you know we'd been out at events together mm -hmm. we'd been at the same table i'd ac i'd actually seen her play once that was that was the thing that kind of turned it around and then when we actually got down to it uh she was really really smart about it cuz she had really clear rules about um what she was looking for mm -hmm. And it uh, it uh, it allowed us to deal with, um, I think, a lot of the stuff that would have been problematic otherwise. This episode of the Massacast is brought to you by Eden Fantasies. Type in EFCast, E-F-C-A-S-T, and save 20% on checkout. But the differences between the, uh, the hetero and the gay scene... Um, when yeah, we were talking about how, like, when I first showed up, mm -hmm. um, and you said it was—it's a bit different when you're. Well, um, yeah, I mean, gay men have a much easier time um, uh, hooking up, 
and a much easier time, uh, I think, dealing with sex parties. Um, there's not... Like, I... Uh, for a long time, when I moved back here, there was a, a weekly or bi-weekly um, bear sex party that was going on mm-hmm. various locations around town. Um, and... You know, it's everyone talks about it as though it's anonymous sex, but but really the truth is that it's not really anonymous. After a certain point, it's like it, it was really like a group of guys that I would see like once a month. Usually, I'd go by, and mm-hmm. you know, often we'd like play with the same people, and you know, it was very relaxed in that it there was no other implied emotional. Um, involvement. Mm-hmm. There was a kind of camaraderie, but there wasn't the sense that um, this was romance. Mm-hmm. And also, it um, the protocols were really clearly in place. Like if there was somebody that you just that you weren't interested in who was coming on heavily to you, you would brush their hand away, and that was that. And they got it you know or if they didn't get it you would do it again and move to some other place that seemed very different to me when i the first time i went to paddles for example and i was sort of i was a little bit freaked out at how well lit it was and how you know uh uh how sort of standoffish it was and very courtly in a way in terms of everybody's like approach but then i understand you know you have guys there who are kind of like creepy guys Mm -hmm. that I don't really, you know, that I wouldn't want rubbing up on me because it doesn't seem like they understand the protocol. You know, that's not the same set of, it's that thing that I think that the straight world could learn from the gay world, which is a kind of matter of factness about certain things. It's not such a big deal. Um, and, uh, like it was like the like the first time I went on, I thought, uh, you know, I was on sites like gay sites like Recon and things like that. You put up a profile and there are, you know, you're sort of chatting with guys and picking guys up, whatever. And then I thought, oh, you know, I'm sort of, you know, I'm seeing more women now. I'll put up a profile on Collar Me. And then I started like looking through like the profiles on Collar Me and looking through the profiles of like submissive women on Collar Me and then reading these like things that were just like, you know, I'm sick of doms who don't have a real commitment or blah, 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 or won't value the submission of this and that and that and that. And it was astonishing to me how disempowered it seemed, mm-hmm. you know, and how... Um, how caught up it seemed to be in a kind of waiting around for someone to do the other thing and a constant disappointment because they wouldn't do the right thing. Yes. <laughs> you know, that, yes. they, that they wouldn't dominate you in the right way. Yes. Um, and, you know, which guaranteed you a lot of, like, hugs with a Z... <laughs> You know, from other people on the side. <laughs> yeah, you know. And it just seemed to me like, wow, this is kind of a waste of time. If you want to get... Like, I kind of had this idea that, like, okay, I'd meet some people in New York, and there might be some women who were interested in playing, and we'd get together and play every once in a while. 
you know, um, uh, and it just wasn't the case on there. It's a, a little bit different on FetLife. I think FetLife has sort of gotten it together in a different way, but Collar Me seemed very much like... Yeah. Oy. Um, what do you mean find your own style? You mean like they're, they're like they're copying how they think it's yeah, supposed to be? Yeah, that somehow if you ever bottom to somebody, then that means you've... Like we're like a pack of baboons who like once you've shown submission, you're kicked down the order to a certain point, you know. <laughs> I mean, and that's, I, I guess that, you know, should let you know that I'm not a Gorian. <laughs> 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 My, no problem if you are, right? <laughs> you know. But um, that just doesn't interest me as a as a way of of sort of expressing sexuality. But it's the same thing as when there are guys who really feel like if they if if a if a gay guy sucks their dick, then that means they're gay, you know. And they can't ever that can't ever possibly happen. Or like if you're, you know, the classic thing. Like if you're on either end of the of the three-way. I mean, this is the thing that's always really frustrating to me in porn, right? I just love this. I love, the, I love stories that say, if you're on either end of the three-way, I'm like, okay, we're going to be cool. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Like, um, A, I often like, I'd rather just be in the middle of the three-way, but, um, but, you know, the, the sort of classic porn situation where there's like some woman in between two guys and the scene is all about how the guys are manage never to make eye contact and never to touch each other because that would be gay (laughs) (laughs) you know and the weird idea that you would be like in the midst of fucking which is such a boundary obliterating experience and so great because it is that Mm -hmm. and yet be so frantic about maintaining a boundary like I love guys who you know they may be basically straight, but, you know, they'll fuck around with guys. Or they'll do stuff with guys and it's not a big deal. And there's and it's interesting because I go to um, some all guy events and there are men there who are basically, you know, who I see at supposedly like straight events mm-hmm. who are cool with, you know, submitting to gay men or um, or like you know, playing with gay men or, and it's not an issue for them. Yeah. You know, no offense, but I have to like, I don't know how straight women do it. (laughs) I just don't (laughs) like, like if really, if my only available sexual partners are the only ones I would contemplate were straight men, I would be insane. I mean, it's a, I guess it's no wonder that there are like those really big, long comment things on on Collar Me, but it just is like, you know, straight men are often so fucked up, in part because they don't ever have to think about anything, and everything is kind of presented, whatever it is that they're, everything is presented to them as sort of natural for them to do. Um, what is it? It's like Homer Simpson says, like, I'm a straight white male, you know, 35 to 48. Every, everyone thinks my ideas are good. He's <laughs> you know? got like the canister of gum and nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone listens to me. I have a friend who, you know, I refer to on my blog as Stan, who is just like the uber top. This guy is so hot. 
to bottom to. You know, he's just one of those people who really wears it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's basically gay, but all women that I know want to like bottom to him. You know, they it's and and it's so much about what would be fun to do with this person. Yes, all of you in podcast land, just I just had the most fantastic meal, so you should just envy that. <laughs> I just want you to know. For those of you who want to know where your donations go, <laughs> here it is, right here. Yeah. It's, it's in the green room. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes. Like, the green yeah. room here. The-, the, the, the green room that's in the limo. Yes. <laughs> you- so I think one of the things, yeah, definitely a difference between playing with men and women mm-hmm. is, is that their power thing is... I had no problem hitting guys. I mean, I had a bit of a problem hitting because I, I wasn't like a fighter as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's it was much easier hitting guys than hitting women because um, it's more socially acceptable. And, yeah. yeah, I do find that for psychological play, I have an easier time with women. Can you explain? Like an um, example. I'm really interested in things like humiliation, objectification, um, playing with that sort of stuff. And often it's easier for me to develop those scenarios with, uh, with women than with men. I think partially because they take more work and guys sometimes just have that thing of like oh let, you know like let's just get down to doing something like let's just get to some fucking yeah and, and we'll we you know we can uh it's too much trouble to negotiate and sort of figure out you know if you're going to do psychological play you have to really have a big conversation with the person that you're playing with um it's potentially much more damaging than physical play mm-hmm. potential you know there's there's a lot more that can go on with it Often, guys are like, "Oh, that's too, you know, it's too much work." Mm-hmm. So, you know, just hit me. Like, <laughs> like you know, we'll just like beat up on each other, and that'll be great. Yeah. So I find myself doing more kind of psychological scenes with, uh, with women. That makes sense. Yeah. You mentioned earlier um, about how people say there are no real switches. Hmm. Uh, I've heard that. In the past, too. And I have plenty of friends who are switches. Why do you think it is that switches are sort of in this middle ground that... I don't, I don't know how you describe it, because I, I know some people refer, you know, think of switches as... Oh, well, you, you never know what you're going to get with them. And other people see switches as like, oh my god, he's a switch! Or, she's a switch! Perfect! Mm-hmm. It seems to be either you know, this awesome thing or this thing like, well, what can you do with that? Right. And I, and maybe that breaks down to the two type of people that I talked about earlier on, the people who are into it for reinforcing a definition Mm -hmm. about themselves or into it to explore Mm -hmm. a, a definition about themselves. I mean, I'm a person, you know, I'm, um, I'm biracial, I mean, these days I use the term pan in terms of my sexuality, um, I, you know, and, and I also switch. And so I'm somebody who's really comfortable blurring a lot of boundaries 
but what I've come to learn about that is that um, often people want a really clear representation. It's hard to say what a switch looks like. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say what switching looks like. Yeah. It's easier to form a mental image in your mind of dominance or submission. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a thing that I think trips up a lot of people in terms of scenes. Because people tend to think about scenes as a static image. Like, okay, there I'll be under the feet that are trampling me, you know, and I will be like the wiggly worm, the horrible worm on the ground, you know, etc, etc. But that only works for an instant and and change is a constant and thinking about how something transitions from one state to another that's really what a you know what a scene is um instead of just being a tableau like how you get from one place to the next and uh, that's a harder thing to formulate in one's mind so, and I also think it's the place where people become different from each other. Like if it's a sort of static image, a lot of people can do that and it kind of looks the same. But how they get from one place to the next is the thing that's sort of different about them. How long it takes them to, to you know, enter a subspace, for lack of mm-hmm. a better word, or what they, what they need to have happen. or um, So... I think that the thing about switches is that um, people get sometimes get short circuited on the idea of like, well, is it? Are, am I going to be standing above them, or are they going to be standing above me, mm-hmm. or I'm going to, you know, I'm, like, what happens if I'm in the middle of like, you know, being the wiggly worm under their foot, and then they get down on their hands and knees and get under my feet? That's yeah. not going to work. <laughs> like, uh. Well, you know, the sad truth is that so many people are skeeved by bisexuals that it's like it's, you sort of double the chance of rejection. Oh, really? Basically. Yeah. There, I have had to work very hard um, to have straight male kinky friends. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, I make like it's some horrible labor. No, but I have to really think about how I approach them, how I deal with them, you know, my way of doing it is usually to kind of tease them about it, like not to have it be kind of, you know, a horrible like secret or something they would know. But, um, but, you know, as we were saying earlier, straight guys can, can get kind of like their backup about like, well, what does this person want out of me? Mm -hmm. You know, thinking like, well, if, you know, Hey, if I was, if I was bisexual, I would be hitting on anything that I could. So they're probably, they could be hitting on me right yeah, now. Right. I, I think that, and this is the tougher thing for like activism within the scene too, is that coming, really coming out of the gay community and coming out of like a, a gay sensibility politically, I had to, at a certain point, acknowledge that my sexuality was on the other side of the law. And that if I was uncomfortable with that, I had to somehow do something about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, talking about the, you know, talking about the early days of the AIDS crisis where, you know, things like ideas like quarantine were being floated around, you know, in in 
public and mm. in enormous ways. And um, just seeing a sort of criminalization of my sexuality, A, had I, I had to sort of acknowledge that sexuality publicly. And B, I had to adopt a political position in relationship to my, the society that I live in. Straight guys, that doesn't necessarily have to happen for them. And so I think that there's something valuable in going through that exercise. I think the, the big thing that, that gay people have to teach our society in general is that coming out as gay means acknowledging that you are a sexual being and we're a society that doesn't have puberty rituals yeah you know we don't we don't have like you know go out into the you know go out into the ice flow and kill a penguin and bring it back and yeah. that means that you're a man you know that means you know or like you know you know we don't have like hang the bloodstained sheet outside of the window or something. Exactly. you know there isn't a moment where Everyone has to acknowledge that they are sexual, yeah. that they that they are mature in that way, and so I think that that's can end up kind of fucking people up because you have this sexual energy, you have this identity, and then the assumption is that you know what to do with it. You know that it's natural, and thus you shouldn't have to ask about it. There shouldn't be any problem with it. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys listen to the Savage Podcast, yeah. the Savage Podcast, right? You know, he gets those questions from people and you're just like, how could you be asking this question? Yeah. And then you realize, you know, there isn't any guarantee that you're necessarily going to have any coherent discussion about your body and what it's do doing and... You know, it's all bets are off in a certain sense. Yeah. A few other form spring questions. Yeah, yeah. Here. I found this to be a really interesting question I'd never imagined before, but what uh, what kinky what kink friendly superpower would you like to have? When I first read that I'm like, that is such a bizarre question, but uh, we've had some interesting wow. answers. Okay. Um uh the I'd like to be self-lubricating. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? <laughs> that is something that I tell you. That is something that women have all over men. Yeah, this is true. That is that is hilarious. I never thought about that. <laughs> you look very proud of that answer. I have to say, I'm proud to be in the room with you. <laughs> what is the one kink or kinky thing that every time you hear about it, you find it inherently amusing? And again, when I, when, when, I, when I ask this question, I also like to say, you know, it stands to reason that just about everything, as long as it doesn't hurt someone else, I have no problem with it, right? But there are a few things that when I hear about it, I think... I this is pretty amusing. I, I gotta say, like, I'm a person who... I love obscure kinks. Mm -hmm. And I, believe me, I'm like... I'm into clown sex. I'm into. There's any number of things that we could talk about, and I could go there right away. Okay. I will tell you what um, I thought was like the the kinkiest phone sex I ever had. It wasn't really phone sex. It was online sex. It's the kinkiest online sex I ever had. Okay. Um, way back in like the AOL chat room days, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm in like the Bears for Bears room, and there's a guy who starts chatting to me and. We're chatting back and forth and doing like a little bit of a flirtation thing, and and uh, 
he asks me um, he asks me what I'm wearing, and I sort of tell him, and then he asks me if I if if I own any turtlenecks, and and I'm like, well, I used to have turtleneck sweaters, but I don't really wear them anymore, you know, and like big guys, it's not such a flattering look, right? Sebastian Cabot, I guess, can wear it. Um, anyway, and so he was like, well, how did you get rid of them? When you get rid of them, and I was like, oh, I don't know. I suppose I threw them out. I, I can't remember. I might have donated them to the Goodwill. He's like, well, did you cut them up? And so I'm like, well, no, I don't remember cutting them up. And so it went it went on like this for a little while. And then finally it was revealed that what he wanted was for me to make him cut up his favorite um, gray turtleneck sweater. Wow. And at that point I was like, okay. <laughs> So this was the way that he wanted to be dominated. And he, and he, um, I made him go get it. He didn't have it on. I was like, all right, go get it. Bring it over. And then I like typed in very explicit instructions for how he was supposed to cut it up. They were supposed to get out the scissors. What part he was supposed to cut out, you know. And all the while he's like doing that like bottom thing of like, oh no, I can't believe that you're making me cut my sweater. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, oh, how could you, you know, how could you have this power over me? And I'm like, just cut the sweater. <laughs> Do what I tell you. <laughs> and... You know, finally I did, and he had this sort of like whole incredulous thing of like, oh my god, I cut it all up, and <laughs> and you know we got done, and I was like, okay, how great is that? I mean, admittedly, you know, when I think about a lot, if that if that was the entirety of my sexual life, I would be a little bit depressed. But how fantastic is there that there's someone out there who gets off on cutting up? Um, uh, on on being made to cut up uh, turtleneck sweaters, and it, it reminds me. I had a friend who was the editor of Honcho for a while. I'm sorry. What's uh... Uh, Honcho was a is a gay uh, skin mag. Okay. Um, and he worked with um, uh, Diane Thayer. I think her name is who is now an editor for Tashin, but was the editor of like Leg Show and a bunch of a bunch of these sort of straight mags and they used to get tons of letters from their from the people you know with like uh, requesting certain things requesting different fetishes and so they used to trade obscure fetishes and uh, he said one time uh, she showed him a letter from a guy Lake Show got a lot of foot fetishes and things like that um, she got a letter from a guy who had a spontaneous orgasm because he was walking out on the street and he saw a nun um, breaking down cardboard boxes for recycling. So she was like stepping on the boxes and crushing them for recycling. And it was like, and he like came there and That's had to run back home. Very specific. <laughs> very That's specific. Very specific. And then he trumped it. He had gotten a letter from a guy who masturbated to the sound of the church bells in his neighborhood. Like he could hear him through his window. And that was what he jerked off to. Wow. So there you go. Well, yeah. there was a guy recently. Do you ever listen to Radio Lab? Yeah, there's the, yeah, a yeah, recent yeah. episode about tumors, about uh, which one, I haven't heard yet. One, but. I mean, maybe I shouldn't spoil it for you, but basically, there's a very brief section where they talk about a guy who uh, would always have orgasms when he either t- touched or felt or thought of um, 
safety safety pins. Uh huh. And just touching, or like the shinier the better. And then eventually he started having seizures, and they removed this, you know, this tumor out of it, mm-hmm. and, and he never had it again. You know, but it was a huge problem with his marriage because it paper safety pins were better than right, right, know, right. Which makes me think. Wow, is like the fact that I like to get beaten by her? Is, is that is there a tumor in here? If so, <laughs> don't operate, Doc. <laughs> Keep me plugged in. Well, it is. I mean, that's the thing that's amazing. I I I love that about human sexuality. Yeah. You know that it's so it's so broad yeah. and so surprising. You know. Hopefully, you'll be willing to sit down I, again. I, I would be happy to. But thank you so much for doing this. This has been a lot of fun. My pleasure. That was a lot of fun to record, and thank you again for sitting down with me, and uh, hopefully he'll be able to come back again soon. I'll tell you who's coming up on the next episode in just a second, but first, I want to thank again to everyone who's donated. Um, it's because of you that I'll be able to get some new equipment, thanks to my last microphone that crapped out of me. I'll be able to get uh, some, hopefully some better equipment even, because I'm hoping to increase the production quality of the show as uh, time goes by, and it's your donations that make that possible. You can click the donate button right there on the Massacast website. And thanks to Eden Fantasies for also helping take care of some of those costs. They have a massive selection of toys to choose from. Toys for men, toys for women, toys for couple. They even have a sex toys for gender play section, which is, I've never seen that on on websites before. They're literally addressing it right on their front page. That's really cool. Don't forget to type in EFCAST, that's E-F-C-A-S-T on your order and save 20%. Coming up on the next episode, you hear Mistress Crimson say, I really want to do a scene with a Republican. I have to be over 40. If they were in a fraternity, that's a plus, but I'm not. Like, it doesn't, it's not a requirement. Oh my God. It's like, I really want that, that very stereotypical Republican, like, in a suit, really just tea party kind of guy. Hmm, wonder what that's all about. So, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.